Hello guys, thanks for listening. It's the Not The Top 20 podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick. What a weekend in the Skybet Championship, which is where we will be spending the majority of this podcast. We've got some manager news in League One and League Two as well, and we're answering a couple of the questions that you sent in on Twitter at NTT20pod. We do enjoy our interactions with you guys for the most part. One we really enjoyed this weekend was from Matt Vale, who tweeted to say, no doubt I've got Mark O'Hare and NTT20pod to blame for the fact that I just tried to send my wife an innocent X at the end of a text and it auto-corrected to XG. And funnily enough, I did that with my girlfriend about six months ago and sent it on to Ali because I find it funny as well. So, <laughs> Matt, you're not the only one. There you go. Well, yeah, really enjoyed that. Anything else um, you want to say, at NTT20pod is the place to say it. Thanks for that, Matt. Really, really tickled us. So plenty of storylines, plenty of interesting results across the championship this weekend, or rather the weekend we've just had. We're going to start with Sheffield United against Leeds, which was on Saturday lunchtime, and Ross was at this one. He tweeted us his Sunday scouting report and said, an even game decided by Leeds' pressing, forcing an error. But given the injuries Leeds are suffering, it has to be considered a fantastic result. Jack Clark with another positive impact, concerning that Sheffield United didn't test a makeshift Leeds defence more. George, how did you see that one? Do you agree with that? An even game? Sheffield United could have tested Leeds more, perhaps? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, a couple of chances for Sheffield United, um, mainly in the first half. David McGoldrick probably having the pick of them. Um, so it wouldn't have been a massive surprise to see them go ahead. Um, and I think to all intents and purposes, it looked like it was going to be heading towards a nil-nil stalemate, which I think neither team uh, could have really complained about. I think that both teams had enough chances to get on the score sheet. It wasn't one of those where it was a, a kind of a nailed-on stalemate from the word go. But having said that, I think it was a tight game. Um, and you know, a, if you'd told me before the match that it would be decided by a, a goalkeeping error. I think I'd have thought that meant that Sheffield United would be would be the victors. <laughs> Peacock and, uh, Farrell with a couple of quite big saves. Big saves. And, and, you know, I turned to you during the game and said we were, we were together. And I said, um, you know, God, Henderson really is class, isn't he? Yeah. And because uh, he made a fantastic save from... Uh, he did, from Halmer. Exactly, Arpo from Halmer. who just came on. And that was yeah. a great save. Mm. And um, it looks like the old uh, NTT20 curse came into effect even before the podcast is out just by me saying it to you um, <laughs> he made his first error in probably a year and a half of, of senior football but, well goalkeeping um, errors were a real theme of the weekend and uh, much worse goalkeeping error was made elsewhere which seems surprising because that mistake from Henderson was really poor I think there should maybe be a bit more of the blame apportioned towards John Egan, who played a, a pass across his goalkeeper, overhit and inaccurate, and heading towards uh, the byline and, and to head out for a corner, which I don't think put Henderson in a particularly good position. But of course, uh, it was just a, a, such a weak pass, such a weak kick that went straight to Clark, who was only metres away. It, it really was very poor. I mean... I spoke on the betting show when we previewed this one and I was just getting a bit overexcited about the, uh, about the, the viewing and about the excitement of the game where I said I was kind of hoping to see Phillips at the back uh, and maybe Saif in for one of the, uh, for one of the midfield players, um, Baker perhaps, uh, because you know on paper that Leeds formation is, is a 4-5-1 now really compared to the 4-1-4-1 that we had it down at the start of the season when they played some really exciting stuff. But you have to say that in this case, it was clearly the right idea because Sheffield United can and have hurt teams at the lane this season. And 
they didn't hurt Leeds as much as they could and would have done perhaps if Leeds had been a bit more open, which we saw against West Brom, went very much against them. So there was a lot of talk, you know, when we did our research on Bielsa in the summer, there was a lot of talk about um, he's only got one way of playing, it's plan A or nothing, and you won't necessarily see much pragmatism because he just wants beauty, beautiful football all the time. It's not really what necessarily what we're seeing. I mean, that, that may not be down to him. It could be purely, I mean, Leeds do have very good te- technical players, but at the same time, I think it's probably impossible, especially in games against teams like Sheffield United, who do press very high um, and will never really sit back and let you play. Um, interesting to note as well that Sheffield United um, completed more passes than Leeds. Mm. They have more possession than Leeds. So this, you know, it does count as a case of, of showing that he can mix it up and do it both ways. Um, but just a quick word on the goal as well. I think Jack Clark deserves a load of credit um, for his part in it as well, despite, you know, it was obviously a clanger from the keeper, but he still had the presence of mind um, to take a touch, not to shoot straight away into what was a tight angle into an empty, empty net to pick out Pablo with a really composed pass. And, you know, it's one of those things that looks easy and you don't really think about when you've got a guy who's 18 years old, um, just turned 18 years old. Amazing. Um, it, it really showed the kind of presence of mind and maturity to, to put that chance away. It was impressive. He, he really, he's the absolute classic um, fast-tracked youth team winger at the moment. He's so direct, he's fast, he, he, he makes decisions quickly, whether it's shooting or to cross, uh, and he's just playing with a, a fearlessness that you often hear that these youth players have when they try and seize their chance. And, you know, before it gets coached out of him, I'm sure we should, uh, we should just enjoy it. But, you know, he, he could and probably will, if he keeps playing like that, get much more game time. Could be someone we see more... Uh, of throughout the, well, uh, the season because Alioski's performances have been hauled off twice at half time and also lots of talk about Saiz moving, moving back to Spain in January and that being the reason wow. why he's not really playing at the moment which would make sense because you know despite a goal drought it doesn't really seem to fit um, that he can't get his way into that team so um, yeah you would expect him to get more chances to impress great result for Leeds you mentioned that we watched that one together on Saturday it was a, a Saturday that we spent together that included around a golf uh, two EFL matches Leeds Sheffield United and Villa against Borough which we watched uh, later on in the afternoon and uh, some live non-league football as well so it was, a, it was a great Saturday for us and I sent a message to our mate who supports Villa during that game. He wasn't able to watch the game, saying Villa have gone to Borough and pulled their pants down. More reasons, George, for us to sit here and gush about Villa, which seems to be a real theme of the pod. Maybe Brentford weren't the pod's favourites. Maybe it was Dean Smith all along. Yeah, maybe. But then there was I saying that Dean Smith was holding Brentford back. Uh, well, <laughs> what do I know? I mean, I still have a sneaky feeling... Um, maybe making this prediction two hours before kickoff isn't the brightest idea, but I think that Brentford might surprise West Brom tonight. Um, but I might, might be sounding <laughs> stupid to you people travelling to work tomorrow morning. Um, it, I, I thought that Villa were, were unbelievably impressive. Um, they really were. I mean, not only they didn't let Middlesbrough into the game at all, um, at 1 0 up, at 2 0 up, they never sat back. They carried on dominating possession, dominating chances. Um, and the impressive performances were all over the park. Conor Hurahim was absolutely everywhere, on and off the ball. I thought McGinn looked very good. Grealish had an OK game. Um, I didn't think he was, which for me is, 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 is you know, a bit of a damning indictment of how he played. I mean, he wasn't one of his best games, but he was still, um, as ever, very energetic and, and, and won a lot of fouls. Tammy Abraham looking really, really good. Um, I, I really think this team is, is looking like... You know the class act at the moment, mm. and it's it's a bit odd to say that about a team who have conceded so many goals, who, who threw away a five-four lead against ten men a couple of days ago. But um, you know, we always thought that that Steve Bruce didn't quite have this team playing to the maximum of their ability, 
And I think when now we're seeing them getting there, you can suddenly see just how much quality there is in the squad, both you know, both at the back and going forward. Yeah, I, I made a note. I wasn't sure that I was going to say because it seems like unnecessarily kicking Steve Bruce while he, he can't respond. But watching that game and seeing El Ghazi and Balassi starting from the beginning away at Middlesbrough, I mean, Villa fans won't need me to say this, but other fans of championship clubs might. You know, Bruce's Villa would have had James Bree, right mid, uh, El Mohamedi, left mid. Obviously, Adoma generally played those games, but he's injured at the moment. Um, so to go with Balassi and El Ghazi, the archetypal, skillful, tricky wingers that will flit in and out of games, but probably won't help you much um, defensively, uh, to, to have the bravery to do that. I mean, even Hurahan and McGinn as your double pivot in a 4-2-3-1, it doesn't scream steel and physicality. You know, Bruce probably would have had Yedinak and Whelan in their game. So it, it turns out out that you can just play better football than the opposition rather than being too worried and too reactive to them and I think that's what uh, Villa fans are enjoying most about Dean Smith of course as you saw on on in midweek with the five all it doesn't always work out and there will be times where um, a direct team can hurt you and where uh, you will leave gaps so of course there's no brilliant there's no perfect way of playing but I think it was refreshing and Villa fans will have felt vindicated by this performance going to a borough side that had only conceded 10 goals in their 19 games previously and scoring three at the Riverside. Balassi was fantastic. If he stays fit, plays like this, uh, it's, it's actually quite unfair on the fullbacks in this division. He did an, an absurd piece of skill. It wasn't even a piece of skill, just a piece of showboating. It was like a boxer. Mm. When he had it out wide, he sort of bent down to touch his laces. Yeah, or yeah. T- it was remarkable. Poor Dale Fry, the young right back, um, absolutely bamboozled. On a borough note, Fuzzy Dunlop tweeted us to say unspeakably awful from the home side a pattern is emerging of poor displays against the better teams in the league Forest, Derby and now Villa Villa better all over the pitch with both Rick Wingers a real threat and I read a piece in the Gazette from Philip Tallentire who wrote contrast Borough's clunky predictable painting by numbers build up play with Aston Villa's Smith's boys were at times poetry in motion I mean <laughs> rewind two months you could have put Villa and, and said clunky, predictable, painting by numbers. So from a borough perspective, how much of a concern is, is that result and those others against top-tier teams? I, I don't think it's a massive concern. Um, I think that we've seen over the course of the season that the borough are, are, are pretty comfortable in keeping clean sheets against 80%, 70% of the teams in this league, um, or at least keeping the scores down. Mm. Um, you know, up, up to the second goal, they only had two shots inside Villa's, Villa's area both of which were blocked. So they didn't really have a shot at goal or, or, or create a chance where they got a shot off. So I think it's just a bad day at the office that they came up against a resurgent team at probably the worst time to play them, um, who found their groove in front of goal, who, who after conceding five at home are going to be pretty desperate um, to, to keep a clean sheet. So, you know, I think you can just put a line through it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a horse, a horse racing terminology where if, if, if there's just a really bad run that you can't really explain, you just, draw, <laughs> you just draw a line through it and you move on because I think this is one of those days where there's enough evidence so far this season to suggest that Borough are, are going to be up there this season. You cannot keep as many clean sheets or keep the scoreline down uh, as well as they do and keep chances down as well as they do and not be up there but they just came up against a different beast on the day who, who outclassed them. Yeah, Villa, unbelievably impressive in that game and it'd be interesting to see as they do have a very tough fixture list throughout December at where they are this time next month. What about league leaders Norwich, George? They went to Rotherham, or rather Rotherham went to them, uh, a game in which you felt Rotherham might have had more of a chance than some people thought 
and the Millers absolutely flew out the blocks until 60 minutes, possibly the better side, certainly uh, you know, matching Norwich and having been 1-0 up and had one off the post. Stephen, the Norwich fan, says, Warniola has Rotherham well-drilled. Unlucky not to go two up when we conceded another uh, save plus rebound goal um, and the impressive Williams hit the post. Towel and Ajay also starred. Uh, they tired second half. Um, and Norwich's fitness and good ball movement exploited that, securing another week at the top of the pile. I feel like starting with Rotherham here, because I think, uh, uh, despite the loss, it's another very positive performance, positive, you know, we've got to speak about them fairly positively after that. Definitely. I think, at the moment, they've gone away to the team top of the league. So, I mean, going 1-0 up and, and competing as they did, nearly going 2-0 up, it has to be positive. Um, this was a bonus match for them. Um, as you know, I, I, I forgot to follow myself in. I tipped up Rotherham on the uh, on the betting podcast and then forgot to back them myself. So I was half happy, half, half cursing <laughs> when they were one up. Um, but I think Rotherham are going through a really, really good spell at the moment. And I think they're proving me, I mean, in my mind at least, they're, they're showing me that that there's no reason for them to be to be too fearful of relegation. Obviously, they're gonna that is the aim. They're not going to exceed that. They're not going to suddenly pop up and finish in the top 12. But... You know any preconceptions before the season that they would be kind of drift that they didn't have the quality to compete that Warren wasn't the manager to, to get them there. I think are, are well and truly gone now. Um, they they're in a clutch of teams who are battling to stay up, but the way they're playing and, and the performances they're putting in, I think they're operating at a much higher level than, than some of the other teams around there. And Norwich impressive in the second half. Cantwell and Aaron's youth team products, of course, that we've mentioned a fair few times now, but. Impressive again. Um, Daniel Farker was so pleased uh, and pretty proud of my lads today, uh, as always. Oh and um, there's five points between them in third place now in Norwich. So, uh, and, and with some fairly kind fixtures coming up, it things are looking very, very good. We've spoken about Norwich. We've Could spoken change about that, though, couldn't it? What's that? Could change tonight if West Brom win. Yes. Yeah. Five points between them in third place as we record. Fine. Um, We've spoken about their qualities and, and there's nothing particularly new, I don't think. Um, Campwell's range of passing, very impressive in, in, in setting up Max Aaron's. But I wanted to say to you that I've seen still uh, a lot of fans on Twitter saying that they are going under the radar, that they are um, you know, not, not necessarily being ignored, but that sort of thing by the, the mainstream media and that um, not necessarily that there's some sort of conspiracy, but that Norwich aren't getting... Um, their fair dues. Do you think that is fair and true, or is that one of those things where they're almost building a narrative to suit them, which could even give them a bit of an edge? Um, or, you know, what what is that? I think it's when you look through the team. I mean, if it's Leeds or if it's West Brom performing well, then the stories kind of write themselves because there are players there who who are going to cause interest. You know, Dwight Gale and Gerald Rodriguez for for West Brom alongside, you know. Like the likes of Livermore and people who, who people know about. Um, with the Leeds, you've obviously got the, the Bielsa story. And, and but you look at Norwich, and if you don't pay close attention to the Championship or if you don't listen to this podcast, um, you're probably not going to know who half the players are. So I can understand why people looking in from the outside wouldn't necessarily think they're there to stay. Um, I'm surprised more isn't made about the, the, you know, the youth players they've got coming through. Mm. Um, Campbell obviously assisting Max Aaron's two guys coming through the youth system. Who are Especially both- when you think about how much... Ryan Sessegnon was written about last year. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, for whatever reason, there doesn't seem to be a, a willingness to accept Norwich as the real deal. Um, you know, maybe I, I can't really speak, given that I tipped up Rotherham to go to, to Carrow Road and beat <laughs> them. Uh, 
but I, there's no doubt that the, the now having had some doubts, I think that the that they could recreate. You know, it's the old cliche bringing up Huddersfield, but certain players, um, you know, looking at the likes of Rancic and Zimmerman and Steeperman, who and Buendia, people who who have kind of fit that model, I guess. And I think even six weeks ago, the jury the jury would have been out for for a fair few of those players. Um, and that's starting to change now. So I don't know how much longer they can be ignored. I do think it has changed. I think the under-the-radar tag um, is, is a bit of a, a, a misnomer, given that they um, have been top of the league now for, for a few weeks. But I, I do agree that, that generally, and, and I think the market agrees as well, that there isn't a, there isn't a willingness to, to say, right, Norwich are the benchmark. This is who you've got to beat. There still seems to be a, you know, let's look at who actually is going to win the league whilst Norwich are, are sitting in top. Mm despite the fact they're the only ones that have truly been able to stay there since reaching their uh, seven wins in their last eight, the other one being a draw. Truly uh, sensational form for Norwich. And yeah, as you say, I guess there's a um, people maybe waiting just to see, even though it's been a, a fantastic run of, of eight games, um, waiting to see if, if the consistency will hold up. And, and that's fair, I think. That is fair. But it's also very fair of fans, I think, to say, you know, can you come and pay us a bit more attention because we're playing some sensational stuff and we're top of the championship. Anyway, Nottingham Forest beat Ipswich 2-0 and there was clearly some sort of unofficial not the top 20 meetup at this game. Like 50% of our Sunday scouting reports seemed to come from the city ground. Uh, Gab Sutton, Forest's midfield dominant and surprisingly flexible. Grabbing the standout with Derek were close behind. Mark says, a long time since I watched a win that routine. If Lambert has had any positive effect on this Ipswich side, I dread to think how bad they were under Haas. Surely going down, he questions. David, Ipswich are the worst team I've seen at the uh, city ground this year. Reasonably set up, but technically poor. Fluffed shots, misplaced passes, goalkeeper error for the first goal. Um, Jack says any game plan Ipswich had went with an unfortunate opening goal from the informed Graben expected them to come and sit back slash try and frustrate Forrest and the crowd but what followed was largely Forrest dominance could have been five and Ash says God knows how we didn't win by more Ipswich are poor and going down at Tendai Dariqua was quality so clearly Dariqua from right back um, causing Ipswich all sorts of issues and another uh, bonus for Forrest who's Fullbacks in in my eyes were generally defensive minded, but Derek was showing what he could do going forward as well. Um, we'll touch on both teams here, starting with Forest. We got a tweet at half time from a Forest fan, uh, American based Forest fan called Matthew, just saying, "You boys are ready to see Forest as real contenders yet?" And I sort of said to you, "Fair question." But not really sure this was the match. Yeah, to be tweeting I, I don't think I don't think beating Ipswich at home is going to change our minds. Um, but are you? You know, we're well, looking at the betting market that they're twenty-two to one to win to win the league, which suggests an outside chance, and I think that's basically spot on. Um, I wouldn't want to lay a bet at twenty-twos or twenties, but I, I also definitely wouldn't be rushing to bat them. Um, I think a bit of a, a bit of an easier run of fixtures with the Villa game certainly um, taken out of that. Um, th- there have to be concerns. They did concede five against Villa, but at the same time, we've seen how how effective Joe Lolly, um, Jao Carvalho, and uh, and Lewis Graben are. So it's it's just a bit of a joke. You know, sit, I'm going to sit on the fence and say I'm not going to sit here and say they're not going to do it. Um, but at the same time, I've seen enough from other teams to think that they're probably just a little bit behind. They're currently level on points with Derby with a better goal difference. But looking at the odds you've got in front of you, there, Derby. 
more likely in the eyes of the bookies, I think, at this stage to, to win the division. Um, you've sat on the fence, but just, in, just as a bit of fun between Forest and Derby fans, if you had to pick one of them now, who, if, you know, even money for both to finish above each other, or whatever it would be, um, who do you pick? Well, if I was getting evens, I'd, I'd pick Derby. Because <laughs> that would be priced off about four to six, I think. Um, yeah, I would pick Derby. But then I have concerns about Derby as well. I wouldn't be rushing to the back them. I think they're about 14 to one. Um, just looking at odds checker now. And, um, and they, uh, yeah, I think there have to be question marks over them as well. I think their, their reliance on, on, if not one teenage loanee, then another one um, in Harry Wilson uh, mainly. And obviously Mason Mount, who's had a bit of a quieter time since a, since a quick start, but still one of the creative sparks in the team. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you know where I stand here. Wedged between the two, you've got Aston Villa. And um, yeah, between those three, I have no no uh, doubt who I think would represent value having a match bet. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think Derby or Nottingham Forest will win the league. But um, but I wouldn't rule them out either. Yeah, Gab, who was at that game and and did his customary uh, excellent match report, also uh, clearly impressed by Forest and uh, tweeted us to say, do Forest get enough credit, or do we need to review the stereotype of Karanka's teams as being unfashionably defensive? I. I will take this one. I, I don't think we do need to necessarily review that uh, just yet. I think, uh, as George has said there, that 2 0 win against Ipswich are very routine and very comfortable. Um, and as, as impressive as they are, that's not the game to start changing your opinions. And nor, even though it sounds ridiculous, is a 5 all draw um, at Villa Park because uh, I think, you know, that, that was a game, a, a freak game, essentially, in which, uh, you know, the, the absolute outstanding performance from Joe Lolly and uh, <clears throat> a couple of fairly uh, you know impressive long range goals or or um or fairly poor bits of goalkeeping probably slightly boosted Forest's numbers there so it's not to say that we wouldn't uh, review that stereotype or give Forest more credit if that's if that's what Forest fans are after but I think you know the next two games away or home to Preston away at Derby uh, followed by QPR and Norwich that's when we'll we'll probably be able to see um, more clearly Ipswich in terms of them uh, still miserable isn't it we've spoken about them loads George so I won't I won't bother you too much with this one because there's not a huge amount to add they, they don't have an attacking threat basically at all they don't seem to have a striker yeah. uh, that's capable of, of scoring goals or maybe it's a, a midfield and wide men capable of creating good chances having said that Caden Jackson did miss a header from seven or eight yards that many strikers on better form might have scored so it's it's not great is it no it's not I mean just a couple of of, of kind of little bits about this um, we've spoken about uh, Paul Lambert's attempts to get Ipswich playing out from the back um, looking at the stats from, from Saturday um, they were you know they were barely even out past I think attempted passes was 495 to Forest 397 to Ipswich so it wasn't like they didn't have the ball but if you're looking at who took up the chunk of that um, it was the back five Belarkovsky 45, Spence 57, Pennington 44, Chambers 53, Knudsen 59. Mm. Um, so they are basically keeping the ball at the back when you've got Ward and Jackson with 15 and 9 attempted passes. If that translates into touches as well, just 100 touches behind, behind Forrest. Um, Caden Jackson only touched the ball 20 times in, in the game, Ward only 23, and they're meant to be the players who are either creating or scoring. Yeah. Comparing that to Lewis Graben with 36, who's playing exactly the same role as... Um, as Caden Jackson and as I said on the balance of play there wasn't much difference in terms of, of, of ball retention and um, and also you've got a uh, you know remember they were 1-0 down after 10 minutes and naturally the way that football works is teams who are behind unless they're completely 
um, useless <laughs> to at least try and get the ball forward to score goals rather than just keeping it. I mean, there's no point passing around the back when you're 2-0 down for a half. Mm. Um, so that is a massive concern because, as you mentioned, it, it feels like they're toothless in an attack. Um, so toothless that they, they don't even get the ball forward, um, which is an issue. So you're not going to score goals unless you can get into dangerous areas. Yeah, got to feel a little sorry for Paul Lambert, I think. Um, really getting very little from his players. Uh, same, really, story with, with Paul Hurst. So uh, not great news for Ipswich, who are now seven points off safety. Birmingham beat Preston 3-0. So it's a great week for Birmingham. Uh, in reality, on any other week, they might have been our team of the week, but they're not our team of the week this week. Uh, but after that Derby defeat on Sunday against Aston Villa last Sunday, um, two wins in a week away at Millwall and home to Preston. Really impressive stuff. Dave was at this one, said, Che Allen's getting better and better each game. That is Bad news for the defenders in the championship. Uh, thanks to no hands, Declan Rudd too. As to be honest, the game was going nowhere until his slight indiscretion. I've rarely seen anything like that from Declan Rudd. Um, like, did he think you can just gather a ball without actually watching it or looking at it or understanding when and where the bounce is coming? Because his hands were quite some distance from where the ball was, which made it looked like he thought it was going to bounce earlier or later. I don't know what it was. Anyway, Preston having trouble with their goalkeepers this season. Rudd and, and my Welsh cousin, Chris Maxwell, uh, have been <laughs> sort of swapping the gloves and, and both of them with some fairly high-profile mistakes. But from Birmingham terms, very, very positive. Um, you know, they've... Where are they right now? They're in ninth at the moment. So despite... We, we sometimes talk about these eye-catching defeats like... Leeds is against West Brom or, or Birmingham's against Villa, but um, sometimes it's more about what they're doing over a six-game yeah, stretch. And, and Birmingham's form is, uh, is good for the Soccer AM generation. They're showing some bounce-back ability <laughs> after the uh, after the defeat against for, uh, sorry, against Villa, which was going to be really difficult for them. I think going one 0 up in what is the biggest game of the season, and um, not even so far, but probably of the whole season, um, given their record there in previous years, uh, and, and going down four-two um, was going to inevitably knock them especially given the fact that they've barely lost a game mm. um, for a couple of months as well so to come out of that with a midweek win and then follow it up with a home win against Preston is, is really impressive and um, yeah Gary Monk deserves a lot of credit genuinely looking at the table now and we'll probably do at some point uh, in December or January some sort of mid-season awards or something some sort of uh, something arbitrary like that um, aside from Daniel Farker, I, I might be looking at Gary Monk for, for manager of the season so far. Just in terms of that, that old thing that we always bang on about, making a team better than the sum of their parts, where you can't look much further than Monk um, for that. A truly fantastic job that he's doing so far. And I, I saw one of our followers, Blues fan Chris Quinn, <clears throat> basically saying, let's hope Southampton don't, uh, don't go for him, which I don't think they will. But You say that, there have been... Uh... It's been a bit of betting movement on Monk really? today. Yeah, I mean, obviously played for the club as well, but yeah. who knows? I mean, it looks like it's going to be... Um, uh, Hassan Hootel. Hassan Hootel, yeah. So uh, probably not watch this space. Fair enough. Uh, Derby beat Swansea 2-1. Ryan was at this one, said the away side. Swansea was surprisingly poor. Much worse than I was expecting. Very little threat all game. Harry Wilson, absolutely brilliant, but defensively we need to keep a clean sheet sooner rather than later. George, no clean sheet in 12 for Derby, but 21 points in that time. So is, is that an issue? Or is that to do with the way that their games are going, that they're, they're comfortable in games where there's you know, chances going each way? Where, what, what do you think about Derby and this bizarre run of, of 
good points, but poor defending. Yeah, I think it has to be an issue. Um, you know, the, uh, over the course of a season, how well you're going to do is probably going to be dictated by um, how many goals you score and how many you concede over the long course. So, um, if you're conceding a goal a game at least, then then even though they're picking up the wins now, that that's it's not really sustainable. So, and how many touches in the box? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say that, um, but <laughs> but no, I mean that's not for me sitting here saying that Derby, you know, are going to struggle. It's just. I'm sure their fans would agree that, that not keeping clean sheets, especially um, given the you know the, the root of their success in the last couple of years, if you can call it success, at least success getting um, you know, in the playoffs last season has been built on a good defence. Um, I'm sure they're very happy now to see a team playing a more expansive style of football and scoring more goals. But at the same time, you know it's, it's going to be frustrating if, if you can't keep clean sheets. Um, a good goal though from Harry Wilson, which I know got you rather excited. Two good goals from yeah. Harry Wilson, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's a... There's a, a specific bit of wobble that uh, certain players can put on the ball and most players can't. And there's something about it, I'm not going to lie to you, it, it really does get me going. And uh, yeah, I did uh, send <clears throat> on a few of the group chats, a, uh, uh, <laughs> I've done the old classic, uh, get so excited about something watching the Quest highlights that I've paused it, rewound it, filmed it with my phone off the screen um, turned it into a GIF and sent it to uh, sent it on on WhatsApp, and that was Wilson's goal um, from the camera angle, uh, the high behind, so up in the stand behind the goal, um, just absolutely sensational. So if you haven't watched the highlights yet, I, I don't know if everyone's got that angle, but Quest certainly did. So go and watch that um, incredible ball striker. And uh, th- my main takeaway from this one was how are teams still giving him space? I mean. The first goal that he scored, uh, there was a, a pass played into him. It was one of those ones where you could see he'd made the move into a bit of space. The bloke on the ball took a small amount of time to realise it and then played a very simple pass to him. Um, he cut in, almost surprised to even have the opportunity to shoot, and then slammed it in the corner. Um, and you just have to wonder what these teams are doing, why, why they're not, why they're, that's not their real priority when they're up against Derby, because at the moment that is Derby's major threat um another good uh, win for derby that's 10 wins from 20 in lampard's first uh, uh, management role uh, in the league so very very good uh, start for him we've got a, an upset swansea fan though george <clears throat> ben church tweeted us all in caps which i thought was uh, aggressive of, yeah really summed up the way that he's clearly feeling he says does playing nice football in the efl work now, you'd have thought of all fans, Swansea fans, would... How old is he? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> but you'd have thought of all fans, Swansea fans, would uh, feel a certain way about this, the, the way that Ben clearly doesn't feel. He says, Swansea and Brentford are struggling to play possession football. On the other hand, teams like Birmingham are having almost none of the ball and simply bullying their opponents, but they are significantly overperforming. What do you think about, about that one? I feel like... He sort of handpicked a couple of uh, couple of examples there. I, I think that you, there's no right way to play football. Mm. Um, there's no right way to play football in any league. It's not like you know because the technical ability of the, of the EFL is a bit lower than, than top flight football, you can't play possession football. At the end of the day, whatever happens, the way to win football matches is to play a style of football that enables your players to get in positions to score goals and to stop the opposition from doing so. Yeah. So for teams like Birmingham who have someone like Jukovic and you know, winning uh, aerial balls and Che Adams scampering around his feet to pick up the pieces. It's, it's, it's going to work to go long. However, if you have technical players, um, which, you know, 
if you look at the goals that Swansea have scored this season, you know, and you've got the likes of, of James and McBurney kind of pouring forward, um, I think it does maybe suit them. There, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's going to be interesting to see on the weekend, um, Brentford against Swansea, two teams who are both playing nice football but failing to, to win games, something they'll probably have to give there or it'll just be a draw. Um, but we, we've seen we've seen many times, I think, teams being... I mean, you look at what's happened to Fulham um, last season, I think they played the best football in the league and they ended up going up, but there was still a feeling that actually, despite the fact they got promoted, they kind of deserved... They, they probably should have got promoted automatically. Mm. Um, and then you, you look at the teams who, who have gone up automatically and it's generally built on a good defence, but there's nothing to be said that you can't play attractive football and not concede goals. Um, you look at the teams currently doing well in the Premier League and I know it's a massive, it's a massive leap technically, but you know, whilst Manchester City and Liverpool you know, are the two best teams in the league, I'm pretty sure they're going to end up with the, with the fewest goals in, in, in the away column as well because mm. as, as the Guardiola mentality goes, if, if you've got the, the ball then the opposition don't and then you you know, you're going to score the goal. So I, I don't think it's as simple to say that you can't you can't play attractive football in the EFL. But but if it's if it's not done correctly, we just spoke about Ipswich doing it incorrectly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it's not as black and white as that. And I think that, that Swansea have, have done a, enough good this season. Um. They're going through a little wobble now, but I think to, to tear up what Graham Potter's trying to do would be would be foolish. I think there's a few key points here as well. Uh, just to sort of uh, take what you've said and, and add my own little spin is that uh, I. Swansea did defend very poorly on, on the weekend. I mentioned it in my recap of Wilson's goal. And, and what they also do is they do play high-risk football out of the back. Now, when you give away goals as a result of a mistake from passing it out of the back, it's almost got like more value of error than uh, not picking up your man from a set piece or uh, not dealing well with a high ball into the box or something like that. For, for some reason, there's something in our, in our, in our brains as fans that that is just worse, like way worse than your average defensive mistake. It's more eye-catching, it's more obviously um, uh, uh, erroneous, and I think that that can make it seem worse. But also, there's, there's, I also think there's a bit of a correlation, certainly in the EFL and in the Championship, um, with Brentford, who he mentions, and possibly Swansea now as well, of teams who are a bit soft. They, they play good football, but they're a bit soft, and you can, you can hurt them with quick direct football or you can just hurt them because they don't really put their foot in as much as the opposition or whatever it is what I would say is A, Brentford have been very successful with that method um, and, and, and have played very effective football while playing a short passing game and also Norwich we said about Norwich last season you know, they averaged I think 58% possession in the championship or something similar and how many times last season did they have similar issues than you might be thinking now at re-Swansea where, yes, it looked nice, yes, it was pretty, yes, they had lots of the ball, but they weren't quite good enough defensively. Well, they've clearly sorted that out this season. Uh, they found a way to be very good defensively. And I think that's important to say. You can play nice football and also defend properly. You can play nice football, and when you don't have the football, put your foot in, clear the ball when needed, organise yourselves, uh, win your headers, win your tackles, win your duels. Uh, maybe that's where Swansea are going wrong at the moment. It doesn't mean that in order to start getting better at those things, they have to stop playing their passing football because we've seen a number of goals Swansea score this season uh, have been brilliant, brilliant football, pulling their opposition all over the pitch um, and striking them with the, with the precision passing. So it's a good question. It's, it's uh, certainly a good 
topic for us to touch on. So thanks for sending that in, Ben. Hopefully, um, hopefully for us and hopefully for you, that Swansea team playing that kind of way will uh, will improve over the coming weeks, and hopefully the defensive issues will get a bit better. Because again, there were some quite good moments I thought just from watching the highlights there were two or three uh, very good bits of combination play which uh, resulted in chances so what you don't need is McBurney giving the ball away um, 30 yards from from your goal Uh, so I think it's probably best if he stays up front from now on Uh, we're almost done with the championship Blackburn beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-2 George you saw this one coming Blackburn your nap on the betting show but they needed this one after losing to Preston and Wigan and uh, let's try not to be too negative about Sheffield Wednesday. So we'll big up Blackburn first. Dak and Graham very much dovetailing beautifully. Doesn't seem to happen every week. Doesn't even seem to happen every other week. But every now and again, but these two really do. It happens a lot, of, a lot at Ewood. Yeah. It's, it's never very good on the road. Yeah. Um, I mean, you say, let's not batter Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, it's pretty hard not to. Well, no, what I really meant was, let's batter Sheffield Wednesday, but let's big up Blackburn first so yeah. it doesn't look like we're missing out no, on, I mean, on the story here. I think it was, this is a huge result for, for Blackburn. We mentioned it on the betting show, how you know, Tony Mowbray's words in the media suggested a guy who was kind of losing patience with a lot of the team. Um, I think having back-to-back away games, given how how much of a Jekyll and Hyde team they are in terms of their home and away form was always going to be tough for them and they didn't come out of it with any credit at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely battered Sheffield Wednesday and I think that the, the two goals Sheffield Wednesday scored um, makes the result flattering um, to them. I think they easily could have lost this game 3 or 4-0 um, and I'm just pretty amazed we're sitting here now at 6-10 on Monday evening and, I'm, and you know I thought we'd be discussing who the next Sheffield Wednesday manager was going to be but Josta Hukai is still currently in a job um, whether that'll be the case uh, come the weekend, I'm not sure. They showed, or rather Dak showed, that if you give him space, he will um, he will really, really hurt you. His shooting was excellent, his passing was excellent, his movement outside the box was brilliant, and Graham's movement inside it was very good, um, although he really did just reap the rewards of Dak's um, shots being either saved into his path or, or coming back off the post. Yeah, and it just it struck me that a week after we saw, uh, or we were told rather, that Ben Pearson had marked Dak out of the game, Sheffield Wednesday decided to take a novel approach, not to mark him at all, um, just to give him the absolute freedom of, of that final third of the pitch. And, uh, of course, he, he hurt them. Andrew says, and you've started to touch on it there, Andrew tweeted us to say, is Sheffield Wednesday sacking their manager going to become a Christmas tradition? Um, It sounds like we're on the same wavelength here uh, because my note says, yes, I think I'm Joss out now. Um, I think think there's there's a, you know, and I'm not going to beat this drum hopefully forever, but there's just an obvious guy for the job um, in, in, in the guy that we interviewed on this podcast a couple of months ago, in Michael Appleton, a guy, it just... You know, he, it's a it's a it's a club that have shown that they're willing to give managers time, which is what he's after. He's shown that he's got the ability to to effectively manage a group of players. They've got a lot of technical players who I think would be very good um, under his his tutelage. Um, I just hope he gets a chance to do it because I think this is basically tailor made. Yeah, not much chance of that. I don't think personally. We've seen this board appoint Carlos Carvajal. We've seen them appoint Jos Luhukai. Um Well, I mean, he has taken Spanish lessons. Yeah, so maybe so... That, that's going to get in the Sheffield Wednesday job. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sheffield Miércoles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I don't think he is. Well, I just think it's gone. Don't you? You can sometimes see it, and it, and that's what I 
that's what I took away from watching that that the uh, that the team's gone from from old uh, Lahukai. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's sad to see, and and in their financial situation as well. All is not well at, uh, at Sheffield Wednesday. Just before we get to team of the week, uh, we've got a question and a couple of managerial bits and bobs to clear up uh, in leagues one and two. Daniel says, George, uh, does the closeness of the championship this season suggest a lack of outstanding teams compared to years gone by, and therefore a struggle next season for whichever his team is promoted, or? a general increase in quality across the division. Quite hard one to measure this one. So it's really, this is sort of more instinct, I think. Yeah, I mean... So I, what's your instinct? Well, it's just, yeah, I, mean, I was thinking about this over the weekend, weirdly, and I was thinking that basically whoever goes up, unless a lot changes, uh, is going to be a massive bet for relegation next season, basically all three of them. Um, I think this is, this is quite comfortably the worst championship um, in terms of quality really? uh, we've, we've had for ages yeah definitely I mean if even going back to kind of four or five years ago when you had the season where, where Watford went up as champions they were kind of four of them up at the top and Watford I think won their last 14 games or something outrageous but that doesn't mean the quality of the division's better no no but all I'm saying is if you, I think since then the quality of teams going up has been so good has oh, right. been so impressive um, and, you're, and you're still seeing teams struggle when they do go up like Cardiff for example last season were, were, were a, a superb and very effective championship team um, maybe not in terms of the of the the flair that you'd hope for but they were still unbelievably effective at winning championship matches I, I have no doubt that that team from last season's uh, championship Cardiff would be top of this league or would win this league now I, I think there's really? a, I think there's a huge discrepancy hmm. um, as is seen by the fact that it's so tight um, maybe but come the end of the season if, if teams like Leeds and, and Villa do run away with it then then we can revisit this and it'll be a, a incorrect because you know. but I don't think teams running away with it means that the quality of the league is better no, no, like, nor necessarily do I but I think there's always been cases where there have been like teams of shit of real real quality that yeah. you, you've seen you know Wolves have been won Fulham all three last season definitely um, Brighton and and, uh, and Newcastle as well definitely Huddersfield was a bit of a bit of a different kettle of fish where what they did was absolutely unbelievable um, I'm not sure well they're a playoff team anyway yeah. so really we're talking yeah. about the, the um, top two I guess the automatics and yeah I, I don't I wouldn't have much hope for, for many of these teams in their current guys to stay up I think normally I would I would definitely at this point think the best teams in the league would stay up mm-hmm. um, so I, it just seems to me like you know that there, there are six or seven teams who are of, of similar quality as I mentioned I think there are a couple who could press on I mean the fact is a, a season um, as I have to tell a few people sometimes the season doesn't end in November or December um, and they could easily go into a different gear now I think Villa are the, are the ones who uh, who strike me as the team who could prove to be that that class um, but yeah I, I, in, in my head um, you know I don't I don't have ratings but if I did I think that, that the guys uh, towards the top end would be would be of a, a yeah, a level but below what we've come to expect to be at the top of the championship. I quite like the fact that there are seemingly, what should we say, eight teams who are all, I mean, it's hard to rate them, as you say, hard to rate them out of 10, but let's just say for the sake of argument, there are eight teams who are all between, let's say, seven and nine out of 10, and therefore rather close. There doesn't seem to be, as, uh, as Daniel mentions a, a, an outstanding team at this point um, and I don't necessarily think that means that the quality across the division is lower and I think it's much more 
uh, entertaining as well uh, as a as a sporting spectacle. So very much enjoying it. It's a nightmare to have to talk every week about these teams, and uh, <laughs> when the results are so haphazard, there's very few certainties. But we do love it. Um, in news down in League One and League Two, uh, we've got a new manager at Shrewsbury, and it's Sam Ricketts. Now Sam Ricketts, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, George, someone that. Pitched up at Oxford United. Didn't, didn't pitch up. He uh, he came through. Our, he's one of our very very few academy graduates. Yeah, pitched um, up, aged fourteen, aged, like twelve. Um, <laughs> yeah, he didn't play very much. He was one of those players who kind of left without much uh, much fanfare, and then suddenly, when we were in the conference about four years later, he was playing the Premier League, <laughs> uh, which is a bit a bit tough. And then he ended up playing for Swindon. So um, yeah, not many friends now at Oxford. Controversial. I yeah, I mean, it's a, it's been an interesting saga. This Ricketts formerly the Wrexham manager before taking the Shrewsbury job. He's not been Wrexham manager for very long, but has been very successful in that short time. Wrexham, one of the challengers in the National League. They're in fourth um, at the moment, and they've, they've, they've been on a less good run in the last few weeks, possibly no thanks to the speculation. But uh, they put in a good performance against Newport in the FA Cup, and uh, Sam Ricketts had been uh, banished from that game he wasn't allowed to take the team because of the speculation I think there's a real feeling amongst Wrexham fans that he's really sort of left them in the lurch here um, at the same time from my way of looking at it I just cannot see how you can begrudge a man taking a job two leagues above them and goodness knows we've seen people do this and in a year's time end up not even being able to get a job back in non-league depending on how it goes but just think of anyone's career of course you would take um, an opportunity like this and he takes over a Shrewsbury team that I still feel like if he could get them playing well should be good enough to, to move away from the relegation zone um, but obviously it's different going from a promotion battle to a relegation battle but I was impressed with Wrexham uh, in that game on the weekend and if that was anything to do with him and the way that he set that team up and put it together uh, I'm feeling quite positive about this I know that Ricketts is very highly thought of amongst uh, fellow professionals and I think considered to be a very smart uh, footballer when he was a footballer. So looking forward to seeing how that translates into the dugout. Yeah, it's just time is the other thing. you just got to hope that he's afforded the time that, that Askey wasn't. Um, that would be my only concern when you come to a club who've just um, pulled the plug on a manager who they hired in the summer. Um, when they're not even, you know, it's not like they're cut off at the bottom of the league. It's been a poor start, but, but no mm. worse than that. So just hope he gets the time um, to you know, influence the club in the way he wants to. Yeah, he's got a lot to thank Danny Coyne, the caretaker manager, um, and the lad whose surname is Ramsey, whose first name I can't remember, who, who have been taking the team since Askey left, because I've just checked Shrewsbury actually seven points above the relegation zone, which is more than I thought, so that speaks to their uh, expert stewardship uh, uh, since the departure of Askey. In other news, Cambridge sacked Joe Dunn, and that took us both by surprise, I think, didn't it? Uh, yeah, Having definitely. said that, I then checked the league table, Cambridge 19 points from 20 games and only three above the drop zone, which has really crept up on me. So possibly not that surprising. Well, it's, it's again, it's one of those odd ones where they looked very poor early on in the season and then that run of form did turn around um, yeah with some good results I think the performance data behind it suggested that was going to happen and then it was one of those that came true and I think they thought that they were out of the woods and then a regression in terms of results has cost him his job back in the woods yeah back in the woods <laughs> um, so I'd be pretty disappointed if I was him I think there were signs that he was doing an okay job 
Cambridge strike me as one of those teams who it, it's very hard to get a grip on on what success is. Mm. Um, they haven't been knocking on the right end of the table for a while now. Um, obviously, relegation like every team in, in League Two is is unthinkable, um, and you know they're down towards that that area now. So, you know, we'll G- see, general we'll consensus see. that I've seen is that. Um, great guy seemed a decent manager but just didn't have the backing from the board slash wasn't put in a position to succeed that was very much what a lot of the replies to the to the tweet were saying and very much what the local journalists whose uh, whose pieces I read were saying which is such a shame but also speaks to the importance when judging managers from as we do from the outside the importance on situation um, because you can have a good manager in a bad situation and generally things will go wrong Um, you can have good managers in good situations bad managers in good situations and bad managers in bad situations so this strikes me as a not a bad manager but definitely a bad situation Um, and I think it's a sad. It's a sad sacking. I got the feeling that no one, that everyone quite liked Joe Dunn, and no one particularly wanted this to happen. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see where they go next. I noticed that there's no strong favourite at the moment, George, but one of your favourites, Gary Boyer, six to one favourite. Kevin Nolan in the mix as well at seven to one. Um, I, I imagine you'd quite fancy a bit of Gary Boyer there if you were a Cambridge fan. Yeah, I think I would. Um, it's, it's a league that he. Did a, you know, a, I wouldn't have thought that the uh, what Cambridge and, and Blackpool have in terms of resources would be too far apart, um, and he he did a bit of a miracle there. So I, if, if I was a Cambridge fan, he would be the one I'm looking for. But you have to wonder why, given the amount of jobs that he should be up at the top end of the market for, um, why he hasn't landed one yet. Maybe he doesn't want to come back into football. We don't know because mm. um, I'm surprised he's not back in a job. Given and, and also the way he left Blackpool seemed. Um, quite bizarre as well so you have to wonder if maybe um, he's not quite ready to come back to a job yet after going through what must have been a pretty turbulent um, 18 months two years at Blackpool Lots of EFL teams went head to head in the FA Cup congrats to all those who have made the third round we look forward to the draw which unfortunately is just after we're recording this Uh, the main result George Swindon nil, Woking 1 The good news being that that, because I'm going to be away for the the next round so um, I'm not going to miss another derby which is good Excellent news. Uh, team of the week, George, we sort of debated this because in a week where there were two game weeks, they didn't get maximum points, which would normally be the, your sort of starting point. But what they did do was draw with league leaders Norwich and get a, a, a win at QPR, a 3-2 win that fan blog Amber Nectar called deliciously surprising. I'm talking about Hull City. What a week for them. They're our team of the week. Yeah, if any of them are still listening after you bashing them on the betting pod every week. Um, yeah, it have been brilliant. <laughs> yes, there's not really much else you can say. I mean, surprising. I think, I think the, the biggest testament you can give a team uh, in football is when they have a couple of results that make you have to kind of completely rethink your, your opinion of them. Is that, how you, is that how you're reacting to this? Possibly. Um, possibly. That, you know, it's a, one swallow doesn't make a summer and all that. But, <laughs> um, but they... Uh, that is so beautifully and unusually poetic for the not the top well, 20 well, I shouldn't have said and all that afterwards I don't know. <laughs> um, but the, it's like uh, swallows and that isn't it yeah yeah um, the, the the Norwich game is almost as impressive I think as, as the as the QPR win where not only did they did they nick a and they'll draw, but they probably had the better chances in the game, except for that one chance that Norwich, that Norwich did waste. But in terms of the, the general gameplay, I think that if you watch that, that match as a neutral, there's no way you'd have had one 
at the time first and one at the time of the relegation zone. Mm. Um, and if you were asked to guess, I think not necessarily everyone would have got it right. Mm. Um, so that was a good result and they followed it up with, uh, with three goals on the road, QPR. I was pretty impressed with them when I saw them at Stoke the other day. They're a good team who, who not many teams um, will beat and they managed to, to get three on the score sheet. I saw annoyingly um, Blades Analytic, I think it was, tweeted um, players, or was it Mark? Uh, one of the, the great guys that we that we follow on Twitter, one of the data guys, tweeted the um, overperformers and underperformers on XG individual players, and Jared Bowden was right at the top of the underperformers, and I oh, I, really? and I discarded it because I thought no they're rubbish, and he's went and scored a brace at, at Loftus Road, but. Um, yes. It's going to be interesting how they come back from this, um, but it is, it's just one defeat in their last five now, um, including three wins. So really, they really have turned it around. But, yep. um, and those wins come against West Brom and, uh, and Bolton and QPR, so two teams who are in the top half of the table. Yeah, so they're in 19th place now, uh, 11 points from six games. They've got more points away from home than they do at home, which in my defence is part of the reason why I keep tipping the opposition teams to beat them at the KCOM, because I just don't buy any sort of home advantage and that's so far playing out in the in the results and you mentioned Bowen what an unbelievable performance he just basically put the whole team on his back um, and with the help of Grosicki who uh, just shows flashes of class that is is not uh, shouldn't really belong in a championship uh, relegation scrap I think it's fair to say but when you have players like Bowen and Grosicki that might be enough maybe to to keep them around 19th and 20th rather than you know, 22nd, 23rd. How much, you know, how much, what do you think of Adkins? Um, <laughs> you say that with such disdain. Yeah, no, no, I, do, I, don't, I don't mean it with disdain, but he's such a strange character that I think <laughs> I maybe... He doesn't listen. Well, he once said that uh, the favorite, his favourite room in his house is the room for improvement. And ever since he said that, I just, I genuinely, I cannot take him seriously. And maybe that is... Um, clouding my judgment here. So, you know, what do you think about the job that he's done at, at Hull? I'd like to know which room that is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, not the bedroom. It's very. I mean, that's what I was. That's what I was uh, getting at, Ali, without without having to to I've spell it out. Piling in. Yeah, uh, I don't think to... subtlety is, uh, is 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 our forte. Does that not come across on podcasts? No. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, really. If be, as, 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 as kind of pathetic as that sounds. On it's a, good on to a, be able to say that every now and again. I, I, it's, it's very hard to judge. Um, I think that staying up would be an achievement, and they're currently in 19th, so I think you've mm. got to say he's doing a decent job. I think their current run of form shows that he is, is the man to do so. Um, their next run of fixtures are by no means difficult. They've got Millwall, Brentford, Swansea and Preston coming up, three teams. Uh, well, but it's actually four teams who are really struggling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he deserves credit for it. I, I'm not, you know, do you remember the outrage when he was sacked from Southampton and then, then they appointed Mauricio Pochettino? <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going down that route, but I think the current time, um, Hull need an optimist and he's certainly that. Great week for Hull. They are our team of the week. Congratulations, Hull fans. Hope you made it this far. George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you've been fantastic. Listeners, you've been uh, listening and until Thursday's betting show we hope you have a, a very enjoyable week please do if you've got to this point and you've enjoyed the podcast if you could make this the week that you tweet about us that you share us um, uh, with your followers with your friends we'd be very grateful because um, I've got quite a few Christmas parties this week and I just can't imagine I'll be that hot on the old um, sharing on social so if you could help us out this week of all weeks that would be great um, until Thursday that's it from us